came on. So hard to tell. You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a lot to cover tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about the Jets' loss in London. We're going to talk about the upcoming bye. And we are going to cover the current uh, rookie rookie class and discuss how we feel they've done. Now, this is the thing. The NFL goes to a 17-game schedule. All of a sudden, it's not it's not in quarters anymore. So normally, we do it after after week four. This year, we're doing it after week five. We're going to talk about the rookies, how they've done the ups and downs, you know, it's early, small sample size and all that, but uh, still worth discussing in terms of, you know, watching progression as they go throughout the year. Alex Varallo will not be with us this evening, uh, but Dylan Terriman is here with me. Dylan, how are we doing? Doing all right. Uh, wish we could be talking about a second consecutive win heading into this bye week, but unfortunately we're not looking that great and we came out slow, so here we are at one and four and wondering what to do from here. Yeah, well, that's the thing. The Jets came out really flat. Again, <clears throat> got got their their doors blown off again in the first half. Uh, went into halftime down 20-3, to three, um, and it didn't even feel that close. I mean, being there, I uh, I mean, obviously, for, for as rare as it is that I get to go to a game and as much as I paid to go to this one, there is no chance I was leaving early, and I've never left the game early. But I'll tell you what, this was one of those games where I felt like leaving early. I'm just sitting in my seat there, 20 to three, and I thought, man, it, you know, this is just. I, thank goodness they got it somewhat under control. Defense started getting some stops, forced a couple turnovers. Uh, you know, they made a couple plays, but the offense just, offense just could, even, you know, the offense obviously they got the, they got back into it, but that was largely set up by a huge kick return that meant that first touchdown uh, meant you know a 29 yard drive. So really, you had one sort of legitimate end-to-end TD drive, and you had a chance to win it. Defense didn't get the stops. As I said, post-game, I'm not putting that on the defense. I don't care if they didn't get that final stop. That unit is gassed. They played 100 snaps the previous week in an overtime game before flying over. And, I mean, I I don't know if you caught it, Dylan. Um, Greg Gumbel said during the broadcast, I believe it was right before his second touchdown pass, and Greg Gumble said this is the Falcons' 31st play on offense. Uh, the Jets have run six plays at this point, which is just, I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, people want to blame Zach Wilson. People want to blame the O-line. People want to blame Mike LaFleur. People want to blame the receivers because they do have a fair number of drops. Um, but what what are your thoughts, Dylan? Who who does this fall on? Is it is it any one person or group that's causing it? How how would you distribute the blame? Um, you know, who, who what are the top two or three issues as far as you know from from what you can see? Yeah, as far as a specific blame standpoint goes, it's it's hard to you know pinpoint exactly who. Obviously, a majority is going to have to go on Zach Wilson because he's ultimately throwing the passes. So I'd say some some of that sits on his shoulders, but I think a lot of it sits on Mike LaFleur's shoulders as well. But ultimately, I think it's the receivers that need to create more separation for Zach Wilson because you go back and you look at the All-22, and there's a couple plays here and there where the receivers are, are, you know, actually getting separation, and it's very rare to the point where Wilson almost misses him. Whereas if it was happening on a consistent basis, I feel like Wilson would be more comfortable you know, pushing the ball down the field to those targets. Everything seems to be contested catches, whether, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it's at the line of scrimmage, 10 yards down the field, even 30 yards down the field. Everything is very contested at this point in the pass game. So I think the wide receivers need to do a better job separating. But that doesn't, you know, um, discredit everything that Wilson's doing because I think he ultimately deserves a lot of the blame. His footwork is really shaky. He looks scared in the pocket. Even when he has time to throw, he's either staring down Corey Davis or he's just not 
you know, his, his base isn't square. His top half doesn't match his body ha- uh, bottom half. So then when he throws the football, it's not coming accurately. You know, we've seen the dirt balls. And then back to what you were saying about offensive plays, the Falcons' first three drives had 32 total plays, and they scored 17 points. The first three drives for the Jets were eight plays total, and that led to an interception. So the Falcons had a 32-8 to eight co- uh, ratio of offensive plays, and they were up 17 nothing with the ball. So that's a recipe for disaster no matter what team it is. And unfortunately, the Jets are not at the stage where they can overcome that. You know, they had the great drive at the end of the half, 16 plays and scored only a field goal. And then they came out at the end, uh, you know, beginning of the second uh, half, got the long kick return from Tevin Coleman, which has been a nice shakeup, by the way, from Braxton Berrios. And, you know, short, short distance, punch it in 29 yards, no problem. And it looked like a game. Like you said, it was not as close as the scoreboard said. So I think offensively, a lot, a lot of things need to be fixed going into the bye week. But, yeah, the wide receivers, Mike LaFleur, Zach Wilson, in no specific order, but those groups have to split the blame. Yeah, for me personally, um, I'm going to go Zach Wilson's the number one issue. And the <laughs> rather than the old – you might say Greg Van Roten. Um, he's just, uh, I mean, listen, I, I defended that guy as much as possible last season when he got off to a slow start, played a little, excuse me, played a little bit better in the second half. Um, but this year he's just been, he's been terrible. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll get into that in in terms of what this team needs to do during the bye week to get better and, and fix some of the problems here. But after watching, I, I'm about halfway through the all 22, um, and I'll tell you what, even just the first two plays from scrimmage or the first uh, two passes yep. that Zach Wilson threw, and I, I tweeted them out earlier, uh, one, there was an opportunity, there were a couple of, and I didn't, I didn't pick the play apart and mention every single option, every single guy he could have thrown to, because then it feels like I'm just nitpicking and he could have done this and he could have done this and he could have done this and he could have done this. But the reality is. Uh, right off the snap, Keelan Cole beats the linebacker to the inside and sprints down the left seam. And there are a couple of safeties behind him. So he's not. it's not as if he's just got green grass behind him or in front of him. But there was a huge – I mean, at, at one point during that route, I would feel comfortable saying Keelan Cole didn't have a defender within 10 yards of him in any direction. And he's, you know, he's streaking down the middle of the field. Um, and in fairness to Wilson, the only thing I can say – somewhat in in his defense is that a it would have been a very difficult throw but at the same time that's why you went number two you're supposed to be able to make very difficult throws um and the other thing was that there was pressure but i do feel like and this was the comment i made the zach wilson we saw in college zach wilson the reason you know he went number two the reason i liked him was the number of times i saw how quick that ball comes out when there's pressure in his face. And I feel like he had a quick enough release to make a play there, but he didn't. He hesitated. The hesitation meant he had to try to escape the rush. Once he rolled out, he could have had, he had Michael Carter, I believe, whoever, whoever the back was, I believe it was Carter. Carter was open, didn't throw to him. And then as he rolled to his right, this was the play where he should have slid but didn't. Um, when, the, when the defenders came up to get him, I believe, at least from, from the, the All-22 when I watched it, he looked like he was still far back enough that he may have been able to dunk it over their heads um, to tight end. I believe Wesco was there. Um, so he had a few different options, passed on all of them, and ended up picking up two yards. Uh, the next play was the one that, was, that bothered me even more. And uh, this one, I mean, again, we're talking about how they need to get things going in the first quarter. This is the first drive, second or third play, and... The ball pops out. Wilson's in shotgun. The ball pops out of his hands. I don't know if he wasn't ready for the snap, but he recovers almost immediately. So non-factor. Ball pops up. He snatches it, gets hold of the ball, starts reading the defense, rolls to his left. And while he's rolling to his left, I mean, he's got plenty of room here. While he's rolling to his left, Corey Davis takes off, and he, op- he creates about 10, 15 yards of separation between him and the DB, and there is nobody in front of him. This is an easy pitch-and-catch touchdown. And this is a throw we've seen Zach Wilson make in college. It's the type of throw we saw him make at his pro day. So we know he can make this throw. 
and instead he dumps it off to Jamison Crowder, who I believe dropped it for an incomplete pass, um, or it was a short gain, one of the two. Uh, but I'm looking at that thinking, that is an easy, gimme, pitch-and-catch touchdown, and a, and a big one, too, probably 60, 70-yarder. And Zach Wilson, either he either didn't see Corey Davis, and people, you know, someone said to me, oh, you know, it's, it's easy from overhead. It looks different on the field. I, I get that. But at the same time, probably eight, nine of the 11 defenders on the field are all behind Zach Wilson. Like, he's rolling left. The only guys, he's got two linebackers in front of him, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe a safety. Maybe it was a linebacker safety. And the corner, who Corey Davis just smoked. I mean, you're not going to get a more open and a better look at a receiver than that. And Zach Wilson either didn't see it or didn't pull the trigger or went for the short gain for some reason. And I look at that and think, here we are criticizing Mike LaFleur, and when you break it down, the plays are there. You know, later in the game, this one I tweeted out a couple of days ago because it was they broke it down on the broadcast and they gave us that overhead view, which is kind of like getting a sneak peek at some all-22 stuff. Elijah Moore lined up in the slot and, and completely smoked the defenders running toward the, from, from the slot toward the left sideline. And, of course, Van Roten gets beat, so Zach has to roll out. But it looked like he had a split second there where, again, if he uncorks that, Elijah Moore had room for days. And so I'm looking at these plays and thinking, there are chunk plays out there. These receivers are running open, and Wilson is either not seeing them, or he's missing them, or he's not getting the chance to see them because he's having to take off so quickly. And even with that being said, the O-line has been much better. I think, I think most fans would agree with that. I thought the run blocking – listen, Dylan, I think what this team needs to do – and I'll, I'll kick this off this, – this is what we're going to do next. We want to talk a little bit about the Falcons game, but also, and we, we can talk a little bit more about that. But in terms of a winning formula, you know, I said early in the season, I thought this team would win some games because they would win in the trenches, run the hell out of the ball. Of course, that changes a little once Becton gets hurt. But the run blocking the other day was fantastic. But it, you were down so big early on that it wasn't going to do you any good. But I think we need to see a return to emphasis to running the football, controlling the clock, and not having Zach Wilson have to do so much. But at the same time, if Zach Wilson is, is not seeing wide open receivers down the field, it's not really going to matter much at all what you do um, until you mm-hmm. get that fixed. So what, what else, what else did you see? Give me, give me some of your highs and lows from this past Sunday against the Falcons. And then we'll go into what the Jets need to do uh, during the bye week here to try to, you know, get, uh, get this offense rolling. Yeah. Overall, I think, Staying with the offense, I think Elijah Vera Tucker had another great game. I didn't see many pressures coming up um, from his his gaps. Um, there was the first play that uh, on the very first drive, there was a two double teams on the offensive line, and Elijah Vera Tucker looked like he tripped trying to get off his block. But Michael Carter still got five yards on the run, and it could have sprung for more. But ultimately, I like what I've seen from Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, and then, you know, flipping over to the defensive side, I wasn't too impressed with Michael Carter this game. We'll talk about the rookies and their grades later, and I've been really impressed with Michael Carter. I thought, you know, Kyle Pitts kind of gave him a run for his money. He had a couple uh, reps where he did win against Pitts, but Pitts ultimately got the better of him. Uh, there was a couple plays that I thought C.J. Mosley, you know, didn't necessarily have to make. There was a scramble where um, Matt Ryan was out of the pocket on a bootleg, and he just – C.J. Mosley just ran after Matt Ryan and left his guy completely open for a 20-yard gain. So I wasn't really, you know, too happy with what I saw from C.J. Mosley, but I think the entire defense, you know, like we said, they played 100 snaps last week, then they had to fly across to London, and, you know, the, the, I'm not going to blame any of that or make it excuses for that but they need to come out and you know look a little bit better on defense and this is the first game that I think that they looked this bad out the gates you know usually it's the defense starting fast the offense starting slow and towards the end of the game they kind of meet in the middle but this game the defense entirely started slow Uh, I'm sure we'll you'll, you'll want to talk about it but the coverages from John Franklin Myers and Bryce Huff on the two tight ends touchdowns for the Falcons. I thought that was questionable at best. Uh, Rob Sala gave a brief explanation about the 
the coverage and what they were seeing and how they got exploited. But I thought that was uh, very, very shaky. And then there was another play where, and this is another rookie who I thought has been playing well, but Brandon Eccles had a couple plays that he got beat and Matt Ryan just didn't see him. I sent one in our group chat on Twitter and uh, it it wasn't great. And I know he's a rookie and they're going to happen, but it looked more of like a communication problem and he just got beat. And luckily Matt Ryan didn't burn him because it would have been 21, nothing instead of 17. Um, But ultimately, I mean, you can't help but be happy with the progress that the rookies have shown, but the defense just came out flat. Offense came out even flatter, and that's not a recipe that the Jets need after this bye week. And I think the part of the what's such a shame there is that even though the defense was flat, like I can't help but wonder, <coughs> not to say that Pitts isn't a great player, but when I watch that touchdown, and I see that Jamie and Sherwood is lined up over him, uh, you know, outside of John Franklin Myers. But Franklin Myers is the one that trails him into the end zone. You can't help but think, yep. man, what if, what if the safety had gone with him? Like, would he, had, would he have had a chance to bat that ball away? Um, yep. You know, and we, you know, Huff getting beat for a touchdown. I know Salah said they've run that before. And, and look, teams run zone blitzes. They drop guys into coverage. But um, I guess my expectation with this coming into this game, uh, the reason I predicted you that – the excuse me, the reason why I predicted a Jets win was because I really thought they would, they would put a lot of pressure on these Falcons receivers and let the, uh, let the D line get after it. But as it turned out, they, they let these guys run free a little bit. We saw a lot more soft coverage than I would have liked. And the D line, not only were they not able to get home, I give credit where it's due. The Falcons offensive line played way better than than I had anticipated, and I know you know I'd, I'd seen quite a few pieces and 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 opinions that the Jets would dominate on the inside, and I just expect them to dominate on the inside every week because they're that good. Um, no, they're not going to get seven sacks every week, but but you should be able to pick up a few um, against mm-hmm. a, a guy like Matt Ryan, who isn't you know he's not Lamar Jackson back there. So it was um, it was really surprising to me, especially early on. Those early drives, that Jets D line is getting pushed around. And I don't know I mean, you hate to make excuses, but at the same time, they they they're just spending so much time on the field and they may have just not really recovered from the previous game uh the game the previous week that went to overtime and the number of snaps they played. So I I mean I'm not sitting here to make excuses. They have a job to do, they have to do it. But at the same time they're human and things like that will take their toll. I understand the Falcons had to make the same trip they did, but um, I don't know. I don't know what their snap counts look like, but it's just a shame to look and think, you know, the, the two touchdowns they got early on were with defensive linemen in coverage, and especially on the goal line where you had Sherwood, who is a former safety, um, right there. But JFM, as I said, was the guy who went out and covered Pitts. So that was a bit of a shame. There were, you know, there were some some good individual efforts. Uh, Quincy Williams had himself a couple of forced fumbles, and uh, C.J. Mosley had a forced fumble. The corners weren't as good as they had been in previous weeks, but Bryce Hall um, made a couple of really nice plays, nearly had himself a spectacular interception a little bit later on. So uh, another good showing for him. So there are guys who are playing well, and I will say I felt a lot better after watching the game on on, on TV and watching the All-22 um, you kind of got a feel for how close they were, you know, especially again in the run game where they, there was some opportunity to make plays. And again, I, I hate to keep bringing it up, but Van Roten's killing them right now. And he single-handedly had some plays where everybody, everyone had a hat on a hat and they were, you know, making, everybody was in position to, to, to open up a hole and Van Roten's guy would, would get into the backfield and disrupt everything. And then, then everything falls apart. That's all it takes is one guy to get in the backfield. The running back has to redirect, and then everybody, then it's just chaos. So he's really hurting them right now. I don't think Dan Feeney would be any better. Um, But you you can't – that's one thing I wish – and, again, not that Salah is going to be honest and tell you, but I I wish they had said, without even being specific, I wish someone had asked Salah, you know, when you get back from the bye, is there a chance you'll have any new starters? You know, is there anyone who might Mm -hmm. be able to – steal a starting job over the bye if you and it's it's a bye but they get four days off five days off whatever it is 
So it's it's not even like you have an extra week of practice. Um, you just have an extra week between games. Um, but the players get four days off. And I, I think Salah said they have to get four days plus the weekend. I yep. don't think it was four days yeah. including the weekend. I'm not sure. So it might be just a full oh, yeah, week off. So, so, yeah, he said in his presser they're going to do um, – they had off yesterday. They went into the building today and did what the Monday routine would be. Tomorrow they're right, going to do right. a, light, a light workout in the gym and just simulate a Wednesday practice, and it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. So, yeah, two days plus the weekend. Okay, yeah, so he – um, which which he said is dictated by the CBA. It's not as if he has the power to override that. Yes, exactly. But, uh, you know, again, that's practice. Are the, did the coaches huddle? Did they get together and say, look, how do we fix this? I, I don't know how how many – I mean, listen, if they just don't feel that good, you know, that that's concerning. If if they're looking at the other guys they have on the roster and don't feel good about them, um, good enough to move them into right guard, that's concerning. I actually – I put a question on Twitter earlier, um, and man, people, I don't think anyone's, I don't think, I don't think Jets fans have ever come after me this aggressively. Um, I had a nice Uh back and forth with about 300 people. Um, And it was funny because I don't, I don't even, I I would have to reread how I wrote it. I don't think I put it down as a suggestion. I think I said, somebody suggested this to me, asked people for their thoughts because I'm, I am one of those fans and, and most fans, I think, will often say, play the best players. Get your best guys on the field. You know, whoever's good enough to start, should start. Um, and if you're better than the guy in front of you, you should be playing. So this is something, and, it, and I get that it sounds crazy, because the first time I saw it, I, my response to it was exactly what everyone's response to me was, it, was on Twitter today, which was, what, what, a, what a stupid idea, what an idiotic idea. Um, mm-hmm. And I get how it is at first glance. And it, it wasn't until the third or fourth different person said it to me, and I, I was kind of like, is that the worst idea in the world? Um, and the, what the idea was, was uh, if you look at the way George Fant is playing right now, he's playing really good football. He's not a liability at all. Left tackle, he's doing a nice job. And I think, I don't know if you recall, Dylan, when, when Mekhi Becton went down, I, I think, I, I'm pretty sure I said, you know, Fant might be one of those guys, you know, as much as left tackle is valued more than right tackle and generally tougher to play, I think he might be better suited at left tackle. Yep. So he's done a nice job there. You got Moses at right tackle. You got AVT, who we got to talk about him. Um, you got McGovern, and then you got GVR, who's this complete liability. By the time Beckton comes back, your season's going to be halfway over. You're probably going to have eight games yep. left. Um, and I and I, what what was suggested to me that I put out there, I was like, what about Beckton? You move Beckton to guard for eight games. Um, and the, there's the one part of me completely gets the idea where you say, well, that's idiotic. He's a tackle. You don't want to stunt his growth. And he doesn't play the right side. All, all valid stuff. Until you kind of go, well, you know what? Um, he played some right tackle in college, so he's familiar with playing the right side. You could argue it would be even a little easier on the inside because he wouldn't have to worry about edge rushers getting to the outside, which is something he has struggled with. Um, mm-hmm. And the bottom line, I mean, anyone, who, anyone who's against that, I guess, I guess my best argument, and I'm not even sure how I feel about it. Like I said, it was an idea I was kicking around or that people mentioned to me and I, I thought it through. Whether you think he's suited, not suited, like for, for, for starters, I don't think Mekhi Becton playing guard for a half a season is going to ruin his career. I don't think he's going to forget how to play tackle and never be the same guy again. I think he'll be fine. Um, but my question to anyone who opposes it is, are they a better or worse team with that lineup? Like I, Even if it's not ideal, I still think Becton would be a better option than Van Roat. And people are, oh, move Fant to guard. Me, I don't see Fant as that type of guy. I want a guard to be a guy who can bully and steamroll and just blow through guys, which I think Becton can do. We know Becton can do. So it's unconventional. I get where it kind of sounds stupid, but I guess I'm looking at it in terms of how do you get the best five guys on the field and get the most out of them? Like, sure, you can say, well, let's move Becton to tackle, Fant to right tackle, and Moses to guard. I guess I could live with that, and I guess I'm just looking at Fant and thinking, how do I get the most out of him? And the answer to that is left tackle. That's where he's played his best football. And then that gives you – then it's what do you do on the right side? Do you want Beckton or Moses at guard? Either one. Even, even let's say Beckton at right tackle because he's play, he played there a little bit in college. And then Moses goes to right guard. Just something like that. Some type of shakeup. What I'm saying here, Dylan, is we need to replace Greg Van Roten. And would, 
Would, would you be willing to do something that drastic, or would you do something less? And you can say, Glenn, I think you're a moron, because believe me, everyone else on Twitter has said it, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I don't have feelings. I have no feelings. What, what do you think of that? No, no, I actually don't think it's, it's moronic at all. I agree. You have to put your best five out there. Um, I, maybe I won't agree with the exact lineup per se of having Fant left guard or left tackle, uh, Becton right guard, Moses right tackle. But that second time around when you said Fant left tackle, Moses right guard, Becton at right tackle, I think that has, you know, that has more, you know, meat to it. And I think that that could actually be beneficial I know that we you just said as well that Makai struggles off the edge, you know, with with especially faster pass rushers. But if you have George Fant on the left side who's holding up well, it's going to kind of balance it. There was some plays I didn't mention earlier on, but Morgan Moses, he he really got made look. Uh, he was looking silly against uh, Dante Fowler. He hit him with a spin move on one of Zach's rollout passes, and Morgan Moses literally didn't know what to do. So yeah, Moses, Moses Moses had a few snaps where he looked pretty bad. But uh, let's just yeah, go to the phones yeah. real quick. We have a we have a caller sure. on the line nine seven three area code. Caller, you're on the line. What do you got for us? Good evening. Thank you. I'll tell you what. That was that was brutal to, to see. You know, with with those plays like that. I mean, the Jets had you know had a chance until you know like in the um they they just well actually in the first part of the game was brutal. The offense and the defense was just you know shabby and couldn't do anything right. They managed, you know, a little bit later in the game, but the Falcons' uh, defense, you know, just to be, would be too powerful. Even though they're one in three, I mean, they show why they're they're better than their record shows. Sorry, I think we uh, I think we lost you there, caller. Uh, go ahead and try to call back in again. We'll we'll get you back on. But uh, <clears throat> so Dylan, yeah, so uh, that that's kind of my point. Is it, it's about getting this O line to where they have five functional guys. I even said, you know, and I think I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the the Steelers and DeCastro thing, I think came to the conclusion he wasn't going to be ready to play this year. Um, but I've seen a couple of people mention his name. He's a free agent. He's out there. Should teams call him? Um, I I don't know about I don't know about him. You know, if, if he's healthy enough. But uh, you got Schwartz who played with the Chiefs last year. Um, he's out there, and he's you know again he's only played right tackle. If you feel like you can move one of these guys to guard, because clearly, or at least up to this point, it certainly seems they don't have uh, they don't have anyone in house who they feel better about. And I completely understand with Feeney uh, why you wouldn't want him there. I mean, I think that was a mistake to sign him to begin with. But mm-hmm. and it's it's a shame that Adrian Clark is is du- is down, and and it sounds like he may be done for the season. Or I shouldn't say that. I it's unclear. They, they've been unclear about how long he'll be out. Uh, with right. him being on IR with the with the bruise with the uh, spinal contusion, so there's there's a lot of questions that uh, that need well there's one big question on the O line that needs to be answered at guard, and they need to find somebody who can play there. I know we've talked about Isaiah Williams. He's a guy that was added to the active roster. He's a guy who played tackle in college, projected to guard. Um, and I who was it? They they picked somebody up that. Uh, you just sent me the message, former Viking. Oh, Who was Drew, Samia. Drew Samia. Um, I know yep. nothing about Drew Samia. I know his name because nope. um, the Jets just tweeted it out. Uh, yeah. He played a couple games, don't know much about him. Uh, generally, starting caliber offensive linemen aren't getting released in week five. So yeah, I know he Vikings started a few Twitter, games last year. Vikings Twitter seemed to be uh, happy that they were rid of him. I guess he was a fourth-round pick a few years ago. And mm. – uh, He's about as wasted as the fourth round pick that they gave us for Chris Herndon. So, yeah, yeah, that's a bizarre thing out there. I know I'm a big Herndon mm-hmm. fan, but Jesus, like you can't throw him a ball. No, like, he's more just, of a ghost uh, in Minnesota than he was in New York. It's crazy. I mean, look, you know, there there is part of me that says, uh, you know, they did trade from very late in the preseason. Maybe there he's not comfortable yet, but. Get him. I don't know. It's weird. He's. I'm not. The guy's not Tony Gonzalez, but Jesus, he's worth a, a few targets a game. Um, right. as, you know, as I've, as I've said a million times over, you watch him in the second half last year. He looked absolutely fine. Um, certainly better than the player he's getting a chance to show prove himself to be in Minnesota. But anyway, that's you know that's moved on from that. He's gone. Um, mm-hmm. So 
the you know the, the other thing that I wanted to that I wanted to talk about is the uh, the rookies, which we we spoke about briefly, and I mean grading these guys out. I mean, where did I, one positive I saw this week, I thought that um, having mentioned them earlier, I think Jamie and Sherwood played his best game as a pro. Probably I haven't looked at his snap count. Probably the most action he's seen, as a matter of fact. Um, it was yep. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. he he was on the field quite a bit. Uh sniffed out uh sniffed out a couple of pass plays where some a lot of the defense looked to be fooled and he wasn't. Uh I think Atlanta's first play of the game actually. He uh he had he had a tackle on the flat uh in the open field on his own. So, <clears throat> you know, probably his best game so far, most like I said, most extensive action. Um I will say though, I I wanted a couple things I wanted to mention real quick, Dylan. Um first of all, uh the, the stadium in London, uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I know everyone has said it, but I feel like it needs to be said a million times over. That place is gorgeous. I have never seen a nicer stadium in my life. To be fair, I've been to a ton of baseball stadiums, not as many football stadiums. I've actually been to a few football stadiums, come to think of it. But, man, that place is amazing, top-notch across the board. They have a bar that's the length of the field. They've got their own brewery inside the stadium, which I believe is the only stadium of its kind that has that. I'm sure others will follow suit. Um, plenty of room. Facilities were spotless. Building was beautiful. Uh, just can't say enough about how nice that place was. Really enjoyed it. A um, couple of the highlights. Um, some of our listeners and, and a couple of folks that I've interacted with on Twitter over the years. Uh, David O'Rourke's a listener. He, he and I have chatted for a few years now through Twitter. He came down with his family, so we met up for a few drinks. It was great to meet him. Uh, Gustoon Gus, who's a, a, a big Jet Twitter presence, he was down as well. He was at the uh, the, the Barrel Boy and Banker, where the, where the official Jets bar. Met up with him for a little bit, and a great gesture from him. He had an extra ticket that uh, that he couldn't use, and he, and he, it was a premium ticket. Cost him a few, you know, a couple hundred pounds, which you know comes out to a few hundred dollars. And he was like, hey, any Jets fan that wants this ticket, show up and it's yours free of charge. I thought that was a great gesture on his part. And uh, was able. To, I, I don't generally go to player events and meet up with players. I just don't. Or if I do go to events, I'm like, it's more I'm there with my friends or fans and interact. And I, I don't feel like the players like leave that to the younger people. Like I'm, I'm old enough that I should be beyond that. Um, but I did go to, I just happened to be out and literally saw a tweet that Nick Mangold was going to be local. Um, um, selling some of his barbecue sauce, which I've been trying to get my hands on since he since he released it what a year or two ago now, um, and I'm going to review it. I'm going to do a video review on Nick's uh, barbecue sauce sometime here in the next couple of days. But uh, but those are the highlights. Getting to meet a couple of the fans who I've interacted with on Twitter. Getting a, and you know Mango was there. Met him briefly. Shook his hand. Didn't really you know you don't hang around and and, and have a, a day with him. Um, and and the stadium was absolutely fantastic. So. There were – it wasn't – all was not lost uh, in going to the game. But um, getting now into the, the Jets draft class, uh, Dylan, of course, you can go ahead and kick us off with, uh, of course, Zach Wilson, who we discussed earlier, you know, pick number two. How do you, how do you grade him through his first five games? This is uh, starting off a little harsh here, I think. But I have him graded <clears throat> over 309 total snaps. I have him graded as a C-plus so far. I think you saw the the A version of him last week in Tennessee. And then other than that, you've seen some pretty subpar below average performances. Like I was talking about earlier, his footwork, he's, you know, he's not dancing in the pocket, but he's jittery in the pocket and it makes his throws very off platform. And although that is his specialty, he needs, you know, the firm base to have the off-platform throws still have the juice on them. We saw the play right before the interception this past week. There was a rollout, and he had Ryan Griffin right in front of him, ended up four yards behind him in the dirt. Those little things just, like, like Robert Sala said, don't be afraid to play boring. And once he figures out how to not play boring, and we saw – I don't know if you saw the ESPN article about Zach Wilson where he said that he's been overthinking his throws and for the next 12 weeks he's just going to rip it. And if that's true and he actually comes out and just rips it and he sees it and reacts and throws it instead of sees it, waits, 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 you know, then makes a mistake, 
I think next next four games or five games, whenever we come back around to the midseason grades, that C-plus is going to look a lot better. But I need to see it fully for more than just part of a game for me to give him a better grade. So for me, it's a C-plus. Yeah, I think that's a fair grade. I'm actually a little lower. I'm giving him a C. Um, wow. And one thing that I was going to touch on, um, I talked about it. I, I posted a, a Jet Nation uh, video to YouTube earlier, but I was going to touch it again on the show tonight. And it, it, probably the most concerning thing um, is the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, you mentioned it, um, but I don't recall leading up to the draft. And I know, you know, you were a Fields guy. I was a Wilson guy. There were plenty of people pointing out flaws in both their games. Um, and I, I, as I said, I, I watched every throw he made in college. I'm not saying every, I'm not saying he was, uh, you know, Peyton Manning picture perfect form on every single throw, but his mechanics were nowhere near as bad as they are right now. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I said to someone earlier on the forums in JetNation.com, which, by the way, if you're not signed up, get signed up. Join the forums at JetNation.com, the most active Jets message board on the web. Um, but I was saying to someone in there, if Zach Williamson's mechanics were, you know, the, as they are now, if they were that bad in college, like, he wouldn't have completed 70% of his passes in Pop Warner the way, you know, as he did it uh, at BYU when he completed 73% or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. There's no way, there's no way as sloppy as he looks right now throwing the football that he would have been able to do that. So anyone who's come to me and says, oh, yeah, it was obvious. People talked about it. I heard somebody say that. Listen, someone might have said his mechanics need work. Someone might have said there's an issue here or something there. But was nobody was flag. saying nobody was saying this kid is going number two overall. And by the way, his mechanics are a disaster. But that's mm-hmm. what they are right now. Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's alarming because that wasn't the case before. And if it was, it was far less noticeable, far less severe than it is right now. So I'm giving him a C. I feel like he needs to be better. Um, and honestly, after watching the early the first half, anyway, of the All-22, I was tempted to go with a D. Um, but I'm, I'm going to bump it up to a C because wow. of the fact that his receivers have had a lot of drops, and he has, even though the protection, even though the problem is sometimes when the protection has been there, he hasn't been very good as well. I mean, he's been mm-hmm. cold, I should say. He's had some good moments, obviously. But the number of times he's had to bail on a play early because of the pressure, to me, I can't hold that against him. And I'm not holding against him the fact that his receivers have a bunch of drops. So that's why he's getting a C from me. I think anything in the, in the C, C-plus range is completely fair. And as I said, if um, I consider it a D, but, but the drops and the, and the O-line uh, failures made me give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. But uh, go ahead, and uh, that brings us to the next guy, Elijah Vera Tucker. Yeah, so the other uh, first-round pick has also played 100% of – all the snaps in every game. So again, 309 total snaps for Vera Tucker. And I have him rated as an A minus. And a lot of this grade is based on the last two games specifically, because, you know, you're seeing an upward trend with him, but I think every game has been above average or better from, from him. There's the PFF tweets about him allowing zero pressures over X amount of snaps. And, and that's exactly what you want to see. I mean, everybody criticized Joe Douglas that we needed more offensive linemen and trading up was not the smart thing to do. But I think at this pace, Elijah Vera Tucker is proving well worthy of that 14th overall pick. And honestly, like we were talking about just earlier, if he had a guard mate that was just as good or just slightly worse than him, this whole offensive line and pr- probably the whole offensive landscape would look completely different. And right now I'd say Elijah Vera Tucker is the best offensive lineman, I would say, by far. I mean, I know George Fant looks really good at left tackle, and we'll see what happens when Beckton gets back. But Vera Tucker right now is the leading offensive lineman for me. So I have him at an A-. minus. Yeah, I think uh, – excuse me. I think I think anything less than that, you know, w- wouldn't be an accurate grade. He's – Obviously, yeah, with with the time he missed, he's a rookie. He's got to get his feet wet a little bit. And it basically took him, you know, two or three games to come out and start dominating and playing really mm-hmm. well. 
And, I mean, you can't help but look at him. I, I know other people are doing it on Twitter. And I know I'm looking at him thinking, eh, put, pair him and Tyler Linderbaum on the inside. Like, I could live with that. That uh, that wouldn't be a bad combo. And that would be, you know, that would be an elite duo for years to come, whether whether Linderbaum goes to center or guard or, you know, wherever you want to play him. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think AVT has been he, – he had a, a, a block I highlighted on a – I think it was on a Berrios um, end around last week where he basically got his hands on three different guys throughout the play. You know, he's obviously he's lined up at left guard. He comes out, and I think he got I think he got a piece of alignment, a piece of a linebacker, and a piece of a safety. Um, got, you know, got a part of, got a piece of all of them, and, and basically three, three different guys, three different blocks on one play, and that's the stuff you look at and go, okay, like that, that's why you trade up for this guy. And yep. I know people were upset, but I think, uh, I think it was a good move. And I think that he is going to be a force. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not breaking news. Like, try, try to find the person who doesn't think he's going to be a phenomenal player. So, yeah, absolutely. I give him an A. And uh, I think for year, for for many years, he's going to be an AA plus player for this team. All right. That brings us next to Elijah Moore. And I have him listed at 162 total snaps. And so far for me, he's graded out at a C plus. I think um, that grade definitely could be a lot higher if Zach Wilson saw him on the plays where he was creating separation. There was a specific play I highlighted against um, J.C. Horn back in week one where Elijah was in the inside slot man-to-man, and he came left to right across uh, J.C. Horn's face, and he had separation, but Wilson just missed him. And I think there's going to be – plenty of those opportunities that are going to be missed moving forward as they build this chemistry. Um, I also gave him a C plus because although I was very high on him throughout the draft process, he has had a few mental errors. He had a few illegal formations, including one just this past week against Atlanta. Uh, I think Corey Davis motioned out wide and he was on the line of scrimmage and he wasn't sure if he should be on the line of scrimmage or off the line of scrimmage. And they flagged him for it. So overall, I mean, he just needs to clean up a little bit of things like that. And obviously the quad injury and the concussion are, you know, you know, hurting his grade a little bit here because he's missed some time. But I think a C-plus is pretty fair. Uh, I didn't want to go, like I said, too high because just because I liked him in the draft, that's not how I'm going to grade them this way. So a C-plus for me, and I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a fair grade, and I, I don't – I'm I'm not normally a fan of doing this, Dylan, but I I almost want to give him an in, an incomplete because I yep, honestly I think it's, yep. I think it's unfair to this guy right now. I've seen it. I mean, you see it when you watch the All 22. I've seen it now. Uh, one of the PFF guys tweeted out yesterday, a few weeks ago. It was somebody else, a Maven Samini with Next Gen Stats or whoever it was. But the guy is getting separation, and I'm I just watch I'm watching the film. And I'm watching him create all this separation, and I'm thinking, if if his quarterback is delivering him the ball, he's he's an A plus right now. I mean, he he's, he's yeah. wide open. He's he's there, whether it, whether it's on the deeper routes, the shorter stuff. They're using him primarily on deep stuff. I'd like to see him used on more sort of slants, drags, ins, whatever. Like try to get him coming, just give give the quarterback an opportunity just to lead him across the field in space beat a linebacker, beat a safety, whatever. But I have a hard time. I mean, obviously his production doesn't warrant anything more than a, a, a D or a C. But the film tells me that that's not on him, that he's getting open. As, you know, I said the other day, that or yesterday, you have the pass interference, I said in the end zone. I think it was probably closer to the two-yard line. But you get the pass interference, which would have been a bomb. And then you can play the play earlier in the game that I mentioned where he's wide open running toward the left sideline and Wilson gets flushed out. And by the time he makes the throw, he's out of bounds. He runs out of real estate. Those two plays alone, it's probably a hundred yards worth of passes that he doesn't get to put up because a guy interferes on one and the QB gets flushed on the other. So this to me, Elijah Moore's lack of production has completely been on the, the coordinator who hasn't done a good job of getting in the ball in space and on the O-line slash uh, quarterback for not, not getting the ball on target on time. 
So I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say incomplete for Elijah Moore. I I can't I, I don't think it's fair to to say one way or the other. I think with a better quarterback he'd be an A right now. But uh, since they're not getting on the ball and it's, I don't think it's his fault, I'm going to incomplete on Elijah Moore. Um, and that brings us to running back Michael Carter. What do you got there? Yeah, Michael Carter. Uh, I have him at 132 snaps. I'm using pro football reference for these, by the way, if anybody's wondering. 132 total snaps for Michael Carter. And I have him at a B-. minus. I think he's explosive. Uh, you can see what he did in North Carolina is translating directly to the NFL. Somehow, I don't know if they grease him up before the games, but guys just slide off of him. It's kind of funny to see for a guy that's so small, 5'7 or 5'8, just guys just can't tackle him and bring him down. He's got a tremendous contact balance, and he's shown that he's pretty much the, the best running back that we have. I know Tevin Coleman, everybody's kind of mixed feelings about him being a veteran. He's had his big plays, but – Michael Carter's run away with this when we thought Ty Johnson was going to have a big role in the, in the backfield. So Michael Carter's a B minus for me and similar to Elijah Moore. I'm pretty positive. That's going to go up by the time we do this again. Yeah. I had a uh, Michael Carter, <coughs> excuse me, I this cough tested myself for COVID came back negative. Um, so Michael Carter, I'm going C plus, And the reason being um, he's been very good. I've liked watching him play. But I feel like he's got he's got to do a better job of breaking tackles. Uh, too many times I've seen him go down with you know. Um, I mean, th- to be fair, he has had some plays where he breaks a couple. But uh, too many plays where guys get one hand on him and he, and he's not able to shake him off. There was one yesterday, uh, one Sunday rather, where he had a runner on the left side where there was looked like it was going to be a nice nice big run, and uh, I believe it was Fant allowed Fowler to reach over and grab Carter by the by the shoulder pad. Um, and that, and just and drag them down with one hand by the shoulder, uh, and just a few plays where there was a hole, and he's he's down on first contact. Um, and again, that's not to say it's happening on every play because he has had a few plays where he's lowered his shoulder and picked up some extra yards. So it's not an every it's not a consistent thing. I should it's not an every play thing, but it's happened enough that it maybe bring his bring his grade down a little bit. But I think all around he's going to be a very good back. You know we know. We know he can catch the ball out of the backfield, and he has. He's he's run away with his job because we expected Ty Johnson to get. It. I think Ty Johnson really has hurt himself because he's he's done a really poor job of uh, of picking up the blitz, and I think that's what's landed him on the bench. And his hands yep. haven't been as good as Carter, although uh, I don't. He's had I think three targets and three catches since a few weeks ago when he had two drops in a game. All right, next we have Jamie and Sherwood, the safety converted linebacker, and I have him listed only at 87 snaps. I believe he was inactive for a few games this season, and this is where I wanted to give my first incomplete grade of the rookie class just due to the fact that he hasn't played so many snaps, but you alluded to it earlier, Glenn. I thought um, this past week was his most extended action, and he looked the part. He played 34 snaps, which, yes, that is the most he's played all season, 44% of the total snaps on the, on the uh, defense. And, yeah, he made his plays. He had some good tackles. He had a uh, chance to make an interception if he was just a step closer to the, to the line of scrimmage than he was. And, quite frankly, it could have been returned for six early on in the game. So, I like what Sherwood's done. Yeah, I think. I think I know which play you're talking about. Yeah, it was like a little screenplay to Mike Davis, and uh, yep, yep. It, he was right there. So Similar to I, what I happened to Quincy could... Williams a couple of weeks ago, where if he'd been looking yeah. up, he might have been able to. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So I, I think Sherwood's coming along well. He's he's definitely got some room to improve, but he's had limited reps. So over the 87, I think a C-plus is fair if you're not going to give him an incomplete. Yeah, I think uh, same thing for me. Some of these guys, they just haven't played enough reps. Um, to grade them out fully, I will say though, you know, anytime you see any any little uptick in progress and uh, and production, and I think that's where Sherwood is right now. As we said, season high snaps, season high tackles. He had six, four solo, two assists, and uh, like I said, one of the at least one of them was open field, um, where you know th- those are big plays. You miss that, you blow those tackles. It's a big play. So he's done a uh, he, he's he's working himself onto the field a little bit more as the weeks go by. Um, so I, w- I would say it incomplete, 
because uh, it, it's hard enough to grade a guy after five games, let alone you know three or four. Um, mm-hmm. And while he's he's played in four, um, week one he only played three snaps, uh, and then he was injured, if you remember, and then yeah. he didn't play week two. So really, he's played week three, four, and five, and he's he's increased his snaps from uh, from week two or sorry from week three to week five. And uh, we'll see more of him in the coming weeks, obviously. And so it's an incomplete for me, but good to see him trending in the right direction. Uh, and that brings us to the next pick, which was <clears throat> which was Michael Carter, the cornerback, the who is now the slot corner. Um, I mean, played really well early in the season. And, uh, you know, the, the first few weeks got beat a little bit this week. Um, but it's going to happen. You know, he's a rookie guy, mid-late round pick. He's gonna he's gonna take his lumps, but based on based on his his you know moving, I know he was listed as a safety in college. He played it he played in a few different spots, but moving to be a corner full time at the pro level, I feel like he's done really well. So I'm gonna go ahead and give him a B plus. That's exactly what I gave him as well, a B plus. And I think silently the Jets' uh, nickel cornerback position is. Uh, very strong between Michael Carter the second and Javelin, uh, Javelin Gidry, excuse me. I think they put Gidry out to the outside a little bit so that Carter can play in the slot more, but I think both of them have done a great job. But, yeah, a B-plus for me, for Michael Carter, 236 total snaps. You saw it week one right out the gates against Terrace Marshall Jr. Uh, of the Panthers. He had a nice PBU, and he's been doing it. I feel like he's had a, a pass breakup once every game, it seems like, and I think the best thing about Michael Carter, and I, I I hate to not give credit to the person who posted the video on Twitter, but the way that Michael Carter passes off zone coverages is almost like a veteran. He, he, he just understands where he needs to go if the receivers switch release and one comes underneath the other. He knows his responsibility, and he can pass it off without saying anything. And I think that's a quality that he got from being a four-year starter at Duke. So to come in, hit the ground running, have well over 200 snaps in the first five games is a great look for him. I, I started with a B plus. And next, I believe, is Jason Pinnock. Jason Pinnock, who I think – I mean, I think Pinnock gets an incomplete, obviously. He hasn't really seen Absolutely. the field. Yeah. Uh, Hamza Nazraldine, another guy, he's, he's played a little bit but saw his snaps decrease rather quickly. Played 31 in week one, 18 in week two, and then didn't see the field other than special teams um, in the, the next two weeks. So, I mean, you'd have to – I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to give him a D. Uh, you know, he, yeah. he, he's, he's working backward. He's a guy that I had really high hopes for coming into the season, liked what I saw on film from him at Florida State. But uh, he was essentially, you know, um, not to say the guy didn't put in work, but he was essentially handed the job. Um, he was plugged in as yeah. outside linebacker from rookie camp, training camp, all the way through preseason, and started there week one, and uh, started week two, and then that was it. He was <clears throat> sent to the bench, uh, played special teams week three and four, so that's that's got to be a D for me. Yeah, pretty much the same notes for me. I have him at a C minus. I guess that's probably because I liked him coming out of the draft. Maybe I'm not sure. I thought. Maybe his special teams value will make that grade go up a little higher. But, yeah, for now, it's it's not much. And it's only 50 defensive reps. So, next is – that brings us to Eccles, right? He was before Marshall. Brandon Eccles? Yeah, Brandon Eccles. Um, struggled a little bit against Atlanta. Got beat a little bit. But yeah. for, a, for a sixth <coughs> – excuse me, damn it. For a sixth-round pick – I think he's done a really good job. You know, these young corners have far exceeded expectations. Uh, the Jets, as I said, though, they have benefited from the, by the fact that they've not played any really high-level receiver groups yet. They've, they've lucked out. Even when they've played teams that have good receivers, the receivers have been hurt. Um, so mm-hmm. a couple of weeks when they go to play Cincinnati and they have guys like Jamar Chase to deal with, uh, that could be a different story. But as of right now, even though there's, they haven't faced an elite group, I'm not going to hold that against them. So uh, Brandon Eccles, I'm going to go with a B minus. He's done a nice job out there for a, a sixth round pick. Who you got to figure Pinnock was the favorite to start over him. They took him earlier, so you have to imagine they liked him more. But uh, Eccles comes in, he wins that job, and he's done a really nice job out there. Yep, I had him at a B minus as well, over 203 snaps. And the last thing you said, I completely agree with. I did not even think he would be the starter 
I assume Jason Pinnock, due to his length and, and his size, would get the nod over Eccles. But I think the story of Eccles is great to go from junior college to the SEC at Kentucky, now to the NFL, and he's a starter in his first year. I think it's great. Uh, yeah, he's had some plays that he's been beat on and luckily hasn't been completely exposed and the ball thrown over his head. But, you know, I, I think the future is bright for him, and I didn't have any expectations coming into the season for most of these later round guys. So for him to come in and play as he did, I think a B minus is way more than I thought I'd give him. Yep. And then uh, Jonathan Marshall, I think we'll both go incomplete. He's played in, yep. played one game, one game, six snaps, sorry, nine snaps. Uh, didn't look all that great. And it's funny, you know, Marshall's a good example of how, you, you know, until you get the all 22, you know, they don't always show the replay live. I can't remember. I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but um, he played a couple weeks ago against Tennessee, and there were a couple a couple reps where he was sort of the you know, you you could see him getting what looked like he was getting penetration, um, mm-hmm. you know, based on the based on the way the play unfolded, and Derrick Henry was sort of past him, so it was sort of the tail end of your TV screen. You could see it a little bit, but it, you know, I was, I thought, okay, look, he got penetration there, he got through. Um, then you watch the all twenty two, and you see that actually. <laughs> The, the guy across from him just, just grabbed him by the shirt and pulled him through and threw him to the ground. And it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe he didn't do such a great job on that play. Um, and that's why you need that all 22. You don't get every single look at every single play um, from the TV angle. And so when you see the back end of the player and it looks like he's shooting through the line, and you think, oh, he's made a play. Or, you know, he, he, you know, he, beat, he beat the guy across from him. <clears throat> and that wasn't the case at all. But listen, um, you know, he'll, he'll probably play sporadically throughout the season, but uh, – Nine snaps, not exactly enough for a grade, so he is another incomplete. Yep, I went incomplete as well. I think he has the potential, like, you know, like the explosiveness we saw in Arkansas, but until they find a role for him and potentially an injury, I mean, this defensive line is the strength, so until somebody goes down, it's going to be hard to get him involved. I know they tried last week. Maybe that was more game plan specific for Derrick Henry. They expected more runs up the middle or yeah, what have you. Is. So, and then Tim Ward came back this past week, so that, that would make more sense. So incomplete for now, but, you know, you got to have some kind of high hopes due to, due to just his explosiveness. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if, uh, if Nathan Shepard doesn't stop committing penalties, I think we could see a lot more Jonathan no. Marshall um, as the season goes on. And it's a shame. Shepard, I feel like he's taking a step back. You know, not to say he was ever a great player, but he had sort of more turned himself into a solid backup player. And he sees a mm-hmm. fair number of reps on this team. And he's just five penalties the last two weeks, just absolutely inexcusable. The one this week is a little tough. I, I, I couldn't tell. I went back and watched him. I'm like, did he lose his footing and just kind of fall forward with right. momentum yeah, and, and like. catch match Matt Ryan's legs, which is kind of a garbage play. But, you know, the, the way they're enforcing these rules, I mean, the roughing the passer, which you know, on, on Quincy Williams, which was complete garbage. I mean, that mm-hmm. was a textbook hit. Ball is still on Ryan's hand when he gets there, wraps him up, lays his hands out on the ground so all of his body weight does, does everything yep. exactly by the book, and they throw the flag. So if they're going to throw that flag, they're sure as hell going to throw a D lineman stumbling, falling forward, and, and knocking into the guy's legs. So that's something he has to get cleaned up. Tim Ward, you mentioned him. I meant to, I meant to mention him. He, uh, he only played a handful of snaps, but he made a few plays, man. He had a a tackle, I believe. I believe he got the tackle in the backfield. A couple balls batted down, and that was only on twelve, thirteen reps. So he's a guy worth keeping an eye on, isn't he? Yeah, I, I think so as well. I, I I know what player referencing with the the batted down pass, but yeah, I thought he made a good a couple good plays in the run. He's not all that great as a pass rusher, but I mean, when you look at who he's technically replacing, it's Vinny Curry. So Vinny Curry wasn't an excellent pass rusher either. So I think for what they're asking him to do, he's done a great job and potentially should take more reps from Shaq Lawson. Yeah, and that, that could happen in the coming weeks. So we'll see what happens. Um, we may or may not have a show next week at the bye. I'm not sure. Um, check us out, though, on on YouTube. Uh, Green Bean posts a lot of videos on there. Green Bean, the Jets fan. I've started posting recently, uh, you know, the odd 8, 10-minute video, just firing off some thoughts. And, uh, and be sure, as I said, check us out on JetNation.com the most active Jets message board on the web. You can follow me on Twitter at AceFan23. That's A-C-E-Fan23. You can follow Dylan at Dylan Terriman. 
and Alex Varallo, who isn't here today, but he should be back uh, next week at NY Jets Life 24. So that'll wrap things up for us this week. Dylan, thanks so much for joining, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Awesome. Take care, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!